Well, happy 2022. Welcome back. This is Kate Luzio, founder and CEO of Luminary and one of your co-hosts for Navigating the Work Compass. Hey, hey um, we made it back. We're here. We're here. We thought last week we both had COVID, so we gave ourselves a break <laughs> to not kick off the year. Um, so we're literally kicking off 2022 with this session, and we couldn't be more excited because we kept tempting all of you last year, uh, especially in December with some special guests. And we now uh, have Carmen Bryant, who is the head of US marketing, senior vice president at Indeed, um, which is the largest, okay, Carmen, give me the tagline, the largest global job seeking, I can't remember. Yeah, job, you know, it's a, a job aggregator. Job um, aggregator in the world, yes, in the world, which is incredible because be, we have talked so much, Susan and I, and navigating the work compass these last probably five or six months about the great resignation, the great reexamination, the job market, women in the workforce, retention. Uh, but you all at Indeed are seeing it firsthand um, from both an employer standpoint and a job seeker standpoint. So. Before we get into that, and we know our 30 minutes goes by fast, it yes. would be great to get you to talk a little bit about your background. You're also a working parent um, and um, and sort of then what you're seeing, and then we can dive right into questions. And for those of you that are watching, listening, please feel free to put your, again, your comments or questions in the chat. Um, we'll pull those in um, throughout the conversation. Yes, and um, if you have questions because you're watching this later, by all means, shoot us the note as you always do. Put them in the chat um, after the call, after we do this call, and then you can also send us direct messages. Carmen, it's really nice to see you, and it's great to meet you. Yes, 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 yes. It's so great to see and meet you as well. Um, so, by way of introduction, my name is Carmen Bryant. I lead the U.S. marketing team at Indeed. I'm also a wife and working mom. Sometimes it feels like I am a chef um, <laughs> and all of the other things that we have done. I, I can't imagine. It feels like I'm cooking constantly all the time. Um, and you yeah, know, that's a whole other show, Carmen. You should have. It is a different show. It's a different show, but yeah, it, yeah. it's uh, oh, like yeah. we're eating again. Um, but yes, and it's been uh you know, I've worked at Indeed for six years in our marketing function, and I would say that the past year or 18 months has probably been the most interesting, certainly from a personal perspective. I think all of us can, can relate to that, but also from a professional perspective. I, you know, started to venture out a little bit at the end of last year and going to in-person events. And I felt like the most, you know, the bell of the ball, the most popular person in the room <laughs> because there's so much that's happening right now in the job and the labor market and women especially are, are bearing the brunt of this. And it, and it comes through in the data when we are talking to job seekers um, you know, I'm sure you've heard the stats before about the number of women who left the workforce and also the number of women who had to reduce their hours yeah, yeah. to sort of manage it. And what we've heard in research that we've done and even in conversations with organizations is, you know, it really comes down to flexibility, uh, support uh, and, and a little bit of patience um, in terms of understanding. We, we're seeing that. Um, unemployment rates are 
lower also for working mothers, particularly of young children. Mm. Um, although those numbers are starting to rebound, they do lag behind uh, working fathers with young children, mm -hmm. for example. Uh, so there is still a lot of work to be done to make sure that we are doing everything we can to ensure that women are gonna be returning to the workforce, hopefully in as significant numbers as we saw them leaving the workforce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As you talk to your clients, Carmen, like how, what percentage would you say are actually even paying attention? Like I know everybody's like, oh my God, you know, all these people are quitting or whatever, but yet internally they're not changing any of their processes. They're not really thinking differently about recruiting. So as you've talked to your customers and your clients, what does that look like? There are a lot of customers that are in survival mode, to be perfectly honest, particularly mm -hmm. when we talk about industries like healthcare. Mm -hmm. And they are, the, the supply of job seekers is so much lower and the demand is so high. Mm -hmm. um, our job postings, you know, are way beyond pre-pandemic levels. So for some organizations, I really think they're, they're just in survival mode. They are trying to get people to come and work for them and uh, trying to get them to stay and engage with them. But really it's just like a day by day kind of like fight. Yeah. Um, and there are some organizations that are very progressive, but these are the organizations that were progressive probably before the pandemic, before. who yeah. are already sort of thinking about sort of these type of policies and processes. But to your point, and I think you raised an interesting one, there are a lot of organizations who are um, not really as focused on the return to work, especially and the implications of that. Because I think one of the things that I'm not hearing as much about as I would like to when it comes to return to office is around equity. Mm, right. And how do you create that, you know, in terms of your policies, it could be supporting women. It, al it also could be what is the dynamic between people who are coming into an office versus people that aren't if you have kind of a hybrid structure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is potentially something that is, you know, could really derail because I would imagine that women would really want to take advantage of some of the flexibility or remote work options, but we need to be thinking about equity too in the return to work. You know, it's so funny. Um, I was reading this article the other day, I think it was in Blavity, and it was talking about the whole return to the office and how so many black and brown mm -hmm. uh, folks were saying that they did not want to return mm -hmm. to the office that um, the amount of, I guess, the ability to exhale because they weren't dealing with microaggressions every day uh, was so much better working remote. But then they also had a flip side concern about their ability to grow and develop in an organization, not being present and not being there and people's natural tendencies to go back to what's comfortable for them, which is to hire people who look like them, and who think like them. Um, how do you think we get out of that? I mean, like, how does that change? And that is a, I, I think I read that same article and I thought it was <laughs> <I did too. laughs> really, really, really fascinating. Um, well, first of all, I think it, we have to think a lot more about uh, how we train managers. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the, the, the people management and the, the, the manager training can't be 
um, underestimate it because I think long-term, regardless of the policies, regardless of all the other things you put in place, is with the managers who are going to sustain it. Um, uh, leadership, you know, I'm really fortunate, and, and Kate's heard me talk about our CEO, Chris, so many times, but um, he has been really open and honest about his style of leadership when he first became a leader, you know, however many years ago, and what he's done now. And I think it really requires leaders being very uh, reflective and authentic and understanding that interventions are required. Um, yeah. In a conversation one time, someone asked me, well, you know, we talk a lot about mindfulness. I won't, you know, if I'm being mindful, won't I'm like, no, no, no. This is not about just like making people content. These require interventions. Um, and we really have to start thinking about the fact that that is what is going to be required. So having leadership being uh, acknowledging that and then having a process in place to make sure people across the organization are being trained to execute against that. Carmen, I think, um, sorry, um, two, two kind of two points to that I think the people management and, and Car Susan and I have talked about this. I've been talking about this way before the pandemic is people management, right? So usually the path to promotion in any organization is you, you become a manager, right? And we tell them all their goals and what they have to hit and all of that. And then we don't train them to be people managers. We, we just say, you're now a manager, right? You're getting paid more, your expanded role. This is what you want. Here you go. Have at it. So I think one is this investment in people management and what does that do and what does that mean and how you, um, and how you make that scalable too. Um, and how do you train um, people to be better communicators? And, and that is so much part of being a leader and a manager. I think the second part is this, 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 the word you use interventions, which I have not heard yet before. And I think, you know, one of the things that Chris has done at Indeed, and you know, you and I've talked about it quite a bit, is this town hall, right? So there's a lot to be said, and Susan and I talk about it so much from a, being a leader as well as the employee, this one-on-one -on -one and skip levels. But one of the things that Indeed did as an organization to start for Chris to learn really what was happening at the massive level was hold these town halls. Can you just talk a little bit about what he did and, and how that, even though it's evolved, has continued. Absolutely. So back in March of 2020, we're coming up on two full years. It's crazy. Uh, back in March of 2020, um, our CEO, Chris Himes, started doing, a, actually set up a Q&A. He invited the entire organization and it was anyone could ask any question and you could kind of upvote the questions. Uh, there are about 11,000 people that work at Indeed across the world. I think about 7,000 people joined that Q&A. Needless to say, they weren't able to get through all of those questions. Okay. And so it kind of started as, okay, we're going to have a follow-up Q&A the next week to, to continue to address these questions. And it just became an endless stream of questions. Um, Chris was so patient and diplomatic, probably much more so than I could have been, as he answered the same questions over and over again often. Um, but it was so crucial, you know, because people were feeling a lot of uncertainty. Uh, they were asking a lot of questions about benefits and pay and also just want to talk, wanting to talk about things that were happening in the world because, 
you know, so much would happen over the course of the next six months. And so he showed up in a really authentic uh, and vulnerable way. And um, really over time, despite the fact that these Q and A's were happening, you know, across the world and with thousands of people, employees started to feel a real connection to him as a leader um, and as a person. And it was reflected in our employee engagement surveys. It was reflected in the ways in which people talked about the organization and the level of uh, humanity they felt was being sort of shared in those Q and A's. And, you know, he began to then have other senior leaders join. I wanna say it was maybe around October, sometime last year, at the end of last year, they started pivoting it to every other week but they really continued it. And, you know, he's been very vocal about saying that he had never felt closer to mm. his, you know, to the organization than he had actually during the pandemic because he was showing up and engaging in a way. And it was so like, you know, low tech. I mean, we were doing this basically yeah. a Zoom webinar, but it really had such a significant impact on, on the organization. And so yep. many ideas, sorry, one, what, so many ideas came out of that, right? So the Friday, the- Oh yeah, uh, we have we have Global U Day. So back in, uh, it was June of 2020, I think. And, you know, people had been working nonstop for months. So, I mean, where are we gonna go? We can't really go anywhere. So <laughs> the default is to just sit at home and work. Now, we're very fortunate at Indeed because we have unlimited PTO. So in theory, you can take vacation wherever you want, but whenever you want, but people were not doing it. So there was a recommendation or a suggestion on the Q&A to sort of have, just have a global day off where nobody would come to work. And I was one of those people listening who thought, just take the day off, right? Like, why are we asking for this kind of global holiday? Um, fortunately, no one was listening to me, thankfully, because <laughs> they, they did it. And it was brilliant because everyone was at home. No one was emailing. Um, and you had a day off. And they started doing it on a monthly basis. And even more than that, when Chris would get on calls, he would talk about what he did. And it was not working. You know, he yeah. was very conscious about role modeling, like on my day off, I did this with my family, or I did these kinds of things, or I'm going to be taking this time off to do X, Y, and Z. And so it became sort of uh, common for people to feel like, not only am I taking this day off and not going to check email, I'm really going to do something that's going to rejuvenate me and hopefully uh, inspire me. You know, what's interesting is, as you have described Chris, and the words that you used around uh, describing him being patient, uh, listening, uh, really taking the time to hear everyone's questions, modeling behavior, setting the tone. I mean, he is literally the um, perfect, uh, I shouldn't say perfect, but a great example of a true empathetic leader, which I think is the kind of leadership that is required today uh, it's interesting. I'm writing this book called um, "Why Should I Follow You," uh, and it's it's a guide on empathetic leadership because you know all these people are like, oh, you know, you should still. I was literally watching um, CNBC yesterday, and some of our usual suspects were out talking about how they're managing 
um, the year. And I was mortified because I'm like, if I worked at that company, I'd literally be shaking my head. Like, I can't even believe that you just said that out loud. <laughs> and, you know, I think there that what is interesting about this as this pandemic may become endemic, I don't know, because I feel like everybody has COVID or you know somebody who has COVID. Um, but like, it's really shifting the the way people will work going forward, right? I mean, it's just going to be different. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the trends that you think are going to be sustainable, um, both good and bad, right? Yeah. And things that people should just be thoughtful about as they are um, going about it. I was on Twitter this morning and this uh, young man who has a startup in India uh, was pretty much saying like, because of remote work, the press for getting US-based visas uh, to come here are going to go down. And mm. there was a whole Twitter thread about, you know, people can work from anywhere doing anything. And I was like, you know, at first I was like, mm, I think people still want to come here. But then I was like, maybe not. Maybe what's given uh, what's happened over the last two years uh, in the United States has really sent a signal around how people are thinking about what they want to do going forward. So what are some of the trends that you're seeing? What are some of the trends I'm seeing in terms of um, what's going to come out of the pandemic? I mean, I think how we define leadership mm. definitely has changed forever. I think empathetic is a great word. And I think we're going to hear a lot more around empathetic leadership and empathetic companies, thoughtful mm. companies. Um, I think the whole nature of how we approach that is going to be changed uh, forever. And the companies that figure it out are going to be the ones that sort of win the war for talent, I think. Um, you know, I, I think that we are going to continue to struggle a lot with this idea of culture. Mm. What is culture? Um, how do you create culture? How do you sustain culture? Um, you know, it is something that we were talking about before the pandemic, during the pandemic, we were all again in survival mode, but coming out of the pandemic, or if we come out, I don't know. <laughs> um, and the next, the next wave. Um, well, I mean, you know, look, just to put it in uh, context, the flu started in 1822. So it's still here. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, that's right. Because we're going to learn yeah. to live with it. And maybe we're all we going to be wearing masks. That's so, right. Yeah. yeah. Flu, flu, Rona, Corona, everything. That's right. <laughs> um, but um, but I, I think as more offices, more organizations start to return to work or do hybrid work, culture is going to be a huge topic um, and uh, an area of exploration. Mm -hmm. in terms of how we how we solve for that. I think the way in which people think of work in their lives has also evolved a bit. I mean, I know we were sort of, you know, Kate, you mentioned before the great resignation and mm -hmm. the great reckoning, the great discontent, whatever you want to call <laughs> it. But um, I think at what is done, you know, and probably at differing levels for different people, it has really caused people to reevaluate the role of work in their lives. Mm -hmm. and what they want to get from it mm -hmm. and what they are willing to endure or not endure. And so um, 
I think that, you know, job seekers are going to be holding organizations and companies to a higher standard than they have historically. Um, I mean, there's probably so many things, you know, that I are, I one think- One more question, Carmen, to that. So one of the things that I'm hearing, I mean, I mean, we obviously are, you're a great partner at Indeed of, our, of Luminaries, but we work with so many. And one of the things that we're hearing, particularly large, matrixed organizations that do have you know thousands of open roles is i can't hire people fast enough because mm -hmm. by the time i give them the offer they've they've already gone somewhere else and i and, you know my response is have you looked at your hiring process right. to start because what worked two years ago right and if you think of just the banks right well i have 20 interviews and again it depends on the seniority of the role and what the role is but no longer are candidates, I think, from what we're hearing, saying that no, I'm not going through 20 interviews, right? I already have other, uh, you know, employers that I'm talking to, and I'm going to make the decision on myself. So I think is there a, as you're talking to enterprise level clients, right, that have the roles, are, are you seeing them thinking more broadly about their hiring practices in general and the process? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've certainly heard it from the perspective of <laughs> um, how to leverage technology, right, mm -hmm. to do some of the heavy lifting for them. So, you know, talent acquisition is marketing, right? Like you need to have like your value proposition and think about what it is that you are offering and try to make those connections. You're trying to sort of present yourself so that people can self-select to come work for your company. And you want there to be as less friction as possible. So I think that's one of the things that we were talking about before the pandemic, this idea that the more friction you give in your process, the better the talent is going to be. Mm -hmm. what, but that's actually the reverse of what happens. So people who actually truly have options and who are truly like the talent that you want are not going to jump through hoops to come work for your organization. That's right. And that can only have been exacerbated by yeah, the pandemic. So I think there are ways that you can use technology to sort of help intervene. But I think you're you're spot on about uh, kind of like the number of steps in the process and what a smart, large enterprise organization should really do is think about how to consolidate what it is that they are really screening for and how do they, like there are assessments you can do if you just wanna know like some basic information about people. And people yeah. can kind of do that on their own time. And you call that interview process down because you're right. Like even in small, you know, not necessarily even in large organizations. If you think about someone working in retail, like if you are slow to right. hire yeah. someone right. in that space, forget about it. Forget yeah. about it. So you well, need to be and not there. paying a wage that is competitive, right? Because, exactly. Exactly. You know, this this, this other uh, conversation about wages. I'd love to just get your read on what you're seeing in the marketplace. There's this fascinating like debate going on around companies that are um, taking price to retain their margins, right? Mm -hmm. So there's inflation, but yes, we're going to take price to retain our margins, but yet that's not really dropping to the bottom when it comes to paying more wages for people. But yet there are other industries where, I mean, you're seeing for the first time in a really long time gains in wage, wage gains because you can't get people to come work for you anymore. I mean, I 
<laughs> again, because I'm, I'm a Twitter troll, so I'm always like, you know, <laughs> people are talking about. And this person said this morning, he's like, you know, um, basically, why would I go take a job for you um, working when it's going to take me three three days worth of work to afford this one thing? It's like, I'm not going to do that anymore. So mm-hmm. what are you saying from uh, like how, what are employees, what industries, like just give us some thoughts around what that looks like. It's interesting. So before the pandemic and, and we had, you know, I'm not an economist and we have, you know, economists on staff, but like before the pandemic, they, we were always talking about, you know, how, you know, it's a tight labor market and how hard it is. And uh, when I would kind of sit with our economists, they would always say, well, no, because in a truly, uh, in a labor market where there's truly, uh, you know, more demand for talent than supply, you're going to see wages increase. Mm. Um, you know, that was sort of the conventional yeah. wisdom and thinking. Um, and we weren't seeing that, right? Because they were finding all these other ways to sort of get the talent they needed, or you weren't sort of like at that tipping point. I think some of what you're seeing now is, you know, directly a supply and demand issue. If you want the talent, you have to pay. So we are seeing things in retail, for example. I think retail is a really interesting industry because they were very much affected by the pandemic. Um, they are now, you know, kind of in a position where they are trying to find talent and it's really hard because they in particular are reevaluating the role of work in their lives. And it's not because it's not about the safety issues because they Mm -hmm. were kind of on the front lines. It's, um, it is, it is pay and wages. It is their commute. It is their customer interactions. Mm -hmm. It is their interactions with their manager. Um, And so it's sort of, if you want, you know, if if you want that talent, we are seeing more and more retailers offer signing bonuses. Mm. You know, we we never saw that before in retail. Uh, People are offering uh, uh, signing bonuses or they're really talking about wages. We've also encouraged companies or organizations in retail to be more explicit about where the job is because yeah. me going two blocks to a job is very different than 20 minutes away. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there is definitely an acknowledgement that they are going to have to pay a little bit more, but it's not all about money either. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know, it is about, you know, some of those other things that we talked about. And I think that translates for retail, they were among the group among the industries that felt the the least sense of belonging uh, did not feel like they were part of their organizations and it could be because they're tend to be more out in stores and not at corporate but um all of those things matter now like they matter so much more it is money um i was looking at a gallup uh study that said that it's gonna it will cost someone 20 percent of a pay increase to attract an engaged worker away from their current yeah. employer, it really costs nothing. You don't have to give them anything extra to take away a disengaged worker from their current employer. So um, organizations at all levels, whether it's the large matrix organizations or even the mom and pops, right? They're going to have to start thinking about how they treat the people that work for them, yeah. right? Like, it's, it's so simple. I love that engaged worker. I. 
I know we're coming to time. One of the things that, you know, to, to add, you, you know, it's not just about pay, particularly in retail hospitality services, it's paying attention right. to those people that have been overlooked for years and years and years, right? There's nothing for you. You're either part-time or you're, you're, you're more transactional, right? Or transitional and really having to pay attention to those employees is becoming more and more important and making sure that they are engaged. And that's why they're going to stay versus they can walk out and go to the next retailer. Yeah. You know, Kate, um, we met this, the woman who works in hospitality, who was telling us that she had finally convinced the organization that she worked for to give people offer letters, which were things that apparently if you came in and interviewed to be a housekeeper at a hotel, you never got. Yeah. You know, like, hey, we really want you. Thank you so much. You know, we're so pleased to offer you this letter of employment. And it's just like it was such, such a big deal for people that they were like telling all their friends, like, I can't believe they actually like sent me this really great letter. And I was like, wow, that's like something small and so easy. But I think businesses are certainly going to have to do more of those kinds of things. You know, we are <laughs> this is what happens every Always. time. <laughs> like, we have these great conversations and then we're like, oh, we're out of time. Um, but we, we, we never want to leave without giving folks advice, right? And so we'd love for you to share your best advice for companies and then your best advice for job seekers. Uh, my best advice for companies uh, would be to listen to your employees, mm-hmm. um, whether that is through the Q&A session, I always think a balance of quant data and qual data is best to sort of get the numbers, but then also have the context. So I think you have to start there. It's really hard to emulate what every other organization is do, but listen to your employees. Um, for job seekers, um, I hear you, I'm with you. Uh, I do think we are in a, uh, uh, a situation now where job seekers have more um, sort of control than they've ever had before. And so I think it is a unique opportunity to to consider the role that you want work to play in your life, whether that is to inspire you, uh, to make sure you're doing something for good, or to make sure you're making a living wage. Uh, I think now is the moment. Um, There are lots of employers, I talk to them all the time, that are really doing great things and trying their best to do all of the things that we talk about. So, um, so look for them because they are out there. Amazing. Carmen, thank you so much. Um, I, I, I'm fortunate enough to get to work with Carmen pretty regularly given our partnership with Indeed at Luminary, but also now know you as a friend and love your insights. We're definitely going to have you back. I'm also thinking we should get the economists from Indeed, Susan. Oh, for sure. Right? Uh, I wrote that as a note. Yes. And um, and next week, stay tuned for all of you that are listening. We'll watch it now. Later, we have Mita Malik, who is the U.S. Uh, sorry, the global head of equity and impact at Carta, formerly the head of DEI at Unilever North America. So. Great guest this month. And Carmen, thank you again for your insights. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks, everyone. Be safe. Be healthy. Wear a mask and see you next week. Yes, please. And if you get COVID, (laughs) stay home. Don't spread it. Stay home. (laughs) Thanks, Carmen. Thanks, Susan. Bye. Thanks, everyone.